Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm going to tell you about what happened when mice chewed through parts of the church organ. Hi, I'm Charlie, and I'm going to talk to you about Francis, the polar bear on Coke. And I'm Alan, and I'm going to tell you about the most famous reindeer of all. What do all of these stories have to do with the word holiday? Holiday? Holiday on History Bluffs? Not on my watch, bah humbug! Unbelievable. Holidays? Here we are. Welcome to another episode, a holiday episode of History Bluffs, where truth is stranger than fiction. I want to welcome to the show your host, Hi, everybody. Adam, you don't seem too thrilled for this holiday episode. What are you, some kind of Scrooge? Ha! Holiday episode. That means there's more sound effects, there's more overlays, all this work for a tech. No thank you. Oh, well, I don't care if you don't like the holidays. I love the holidays. And welcome to a very special first annual holiday Christmas show by History Bluffs. My name is Gina Bobina. I will be your host and your referee. Let me close this for the first you can't see the hiding. And we are going to, uh, these are my fellow armchair historians to um, my my left, your right. And... Uh, Will that work that way? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, and they are going to tell you some stories today related to the holiday season. Um, they may be uplifting, downtrodden. We're not sure. But either way, your job at home is to decide which of these three players will be bluffing today, trying to fool you, or actually who will be telling you the real story. Uh, two of them will. One will not. Uh, so I will get to the rules of the game, and then we'll actually get started. Uh, so let me tell you first that Adam... The Scrooge Among Us is going to be teching and doing all of the sound effects and all of the cues for the show. Um, Adam, you're in your hovel over there doing it. Are you go are you okay to do the show or are you you grumpy? Oh no, I found some Christmas magic. There it is. <gasps> Ready? The... That's so cool. I thought that would happen towards the end of the show, but this is even better. <laughs> it took the form uh, so of a now... glass of eggnog. Oh yeah. Drink uh, a lot of those. That'll help. Um that's spiked, mm. right? Right? <laughs> Yeah, it's from Costco. It's amazing. <laughs> it's from Costco. <laughs> not a sponsor. Not a sponsor, but ten. Not a sponsor, but could be. Uh, so we're going to get into the show now. So holiday is going to be the theme and the overarching um, premise for everybody's story. However, their stories will be different. Adam, throw up the rules, and I will tell the audience the rules. Then we'll just get right into it. Here come the rules. Oh, oh, it's magic oh, rules. It's a gift right now. Oh, that's great. <laughs> um, all of the historians will be telling a, top, a story inspired by the topic of holiday. Uh, their stories must either be completely true or the one person who is going to try to trick you today must be bluffing. And their story, the bluffer, uh, they can actually tell as, as a few different facts in their story to bookend their story if they want to make it seem more plausible. But most of their premise, if not all of it, will be a complete bluff. Um, the audience playing at home, we want we invite you to play. We invite you to guess. But what we don't invite you to do is share if you know who the bluff or who the uh, people who are telling the truth might be. Just because that way everybody gets to play at home and no tr no uh, nobody's story is uh is uh, discovered as the bluffer until the end of the show. Uh, so that's basically it. I'm going to go swing it on over to our historians. Chris, I, I know you come from a very large family. What do you all like to do? Do you have a tradition over the holidays that you enjoy with your family? 
Well, um, we we do. Um, the one that has survived um, is uh, a, a large holiday gathering. Uh, as you know, everyone has. I'm the youngest of six, and and uh, you know, as people uh, got married, and moved out, and had kids of their own, um, you know, some of the old things that we used to do um, have gone away. But um, we used to have a large contingent go to midnight mass, and then have uh, basically a, a big party. Yeah, at our house with a lot of friends and, and relatives uh, afterwards. Um, that's gone away. Uh, my mom doesn't let people at her house anymore after midnight, especially yeah. on Christmas Eve. She's oh, sleeping. Yeah. But um, uh, no, but we still have a big, large gathering uh, at my one brother's house um, in, in upstate New York. Uh, and on average, we have about 35 to 40 people there each year. So it's a lot of oh, very cool. That is very, our families are like identical. It always seems like so. Uh, Charlie, tell us a little bit about your traditions, any traditions that you and Amber do or that you and your family have done over the years? Hmm. Uh, well, uh, Amber's family uh, has this tradition of uh, they, when they make sugar cookies, they make one sugar cookie. That's a chicken. And <laughs> then, uh, then they just give the, the sugar cookies out kind of randomly. And if you get the chicken, you win. Yay. Um, what do you win? I don't know. I, I don't know. You just get more, Sugar cookie, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you, get more, you get more sugar cookie. <laughs> more sugar cookie. I yeah. love that. I love that. Ellen, do you have anything that you uh, celebrate or that has been a, a tradition or a uh, uh, something that you've enjoyed over the years from, from the holidays, during the holidays? Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, my mom is Cuban, so we would celebrate Noche Buena. So we would have uh, friends and family over on Christmas Eve, and we would exchange presents on Christmas Eve. And uh, that was kind of the, the deal. It was always be a, a Christmas Eve party. Yeah, we did that too. I don't know if it's like we're Italian, so maybe it has something to do with sort of that. Like um, we do Christmas Eve as well, but everybody knows that Santa comes at midnight on Christmas Eve. So like you stay up to try to see him. I mean, that's the whole point, right? So right. And then sometimes we would like wait till midnight before we open anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what. Well, you can't because if, if he's not there until at least midnight. How can exactly. you How can you open presents? Um, this is so fun. I think anybody at home, when you see this episode, tell us your holiday traditions. We'd love to get to know you more, but let's get into the stories now. Um, Adam, will you line up our, our um, panelists on the side? And we're going to just get started. Um, all of the rounds, just so that you know, playing at home, we're going to have three rounds. They will tell their stories in three sections. Uh, each round will get consecutively shorter as the show goes by. And at the end of each round, we'll kind of check in with the players to see who they think, are, uh, if, if uh, the other players are bluffing or to see what you think at home um so we're going to start in the order that we are right now so chris uh chris berry tell us your story and you get to start whenever adam puts up the uh the time the timer and the bomb and you can go whenever that starts well, all right let me polish uh, off the christmas magic here oh, Thanks. You, Adam, you really are getting into it. I'm so I, excited. I tell you, this eggnog's kicking. Well then, uh, as, mm -hmm. as Gina said, let us go into round one. There it is. All right. So Chris, Chris is going to be first in the block. All right. All so right. Chris, all right, Gina, I'm ready if you are. I'm ready if you are. Let's do it now. Okay. So, uh, Oberndorf. Austria is about 20 kilometers north of Salzburg. It's a little hamlet. Uh, it's a town that sits on the Salzach River um, with many surrounding lakes. And in the early 1800s, it is mostly inhabited by fishermen and people who work on or around the water. Uh, Joseph Moore was a young priest that was recently uh, moved to the, the, the recently that had just recently been brought into this newly constructed a church called St. Nicholas in Oberndorf. 
and uh, he had a buddy, a guy named Franz Xaver Gruber. Franz Gruber uh, was a primary schoolmaster or teacher in a neighboring town, a town called Arnsdorf, and, and they had become friends. Um, on the morning of Christmas Eve in 1818, Father Moore was horrified, horrified to discover that mice in the church had chewed through some vital sections of St. Nicholas's organ, leaving the church without music for Christmas Eve services. Um, so thinking quickly, he sent for his buddy, Franz Gruber, the school teacher, who was also an amateur composer. With Midnight Mass only a couple hours away, Moore explained the situation to Gruber, and we'll find out what happened next in round two. Oh my gosh. Okay, so, so mice have chewed their way through the organ wires, and now we are left on a cliffhanger um, for that. Charlie, what do you think? Well, I was confused about two things. I mean, first, why is Hans Gruber there? I mean, I know it's a Christmas movie, but like it, it, it seems weird. Uh, and then the second thing is, it uh, it sounded like the mice had chewed through the organs of Saint Nicholas or something like that. And I was just like, this is a weird story. I really want to know what's happening here. Brutal. There were only fish to eat in the town. They were hungry. Yeah, <laughs> like, right? You'd be hungry if all you uh, ate was fish. Yeah. <laughs> Alan, your thoughts, please. Yeah, Charlie uh, hit on it right there. The villain of Die Hard is a featured character. And uh, Joe Moore. Yeah, good old Joe Moore is, is uh, our main uh, protagonist here. So maybe Joe Moore can stop Joseph. the terrorist. Yeah, sure. So he can stop the terrorist plot of those who would try to ruin Christmas music. Hey, at least Chris awesome. remembered to use last names, too, in his bluff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we know the people, at least. Whether they're real or not, we don't know that part. Um, but that's Chris's first part of the story. Everybody at home, remember that, because we'll be re revisiting that two more times. Um, but, but we do have another uh, couple of historians to get to in this round. So I'm going to put Charlie in the center square. And Charlie, you get to tell your story. Uh, your story is related to polar bears, and I'd love to learn more about this. Tell us about your guy. Go ahead whenever the bomb starts. All right, this is a story about David Stern III. Okay, uh, he was a son of a newspaper uh, advertiser named J. David Stern, uh, and he joined the Navy in 1943. And as he said it, uh, circumstances led me via officer candidate school to Dutch Harbor Naval Operations Base and Fort Mears in Alaska, where I was assigned as co-officer in charge of a Navy newspaper. One night I was sitting looking at the night sky with the white tundra expanse in front of me. And then he saw a polar bear for the very first time in, you know, in real life, you know, uh, he said, it was a huge bulking mass of a bear. It was in front of me. It made me feel small, but it was friendly. It sat down next to me, uh, almost as if it was looking at the stars too. All right. David named this bear Francis. Uh, in his correspondence with his dad uh, after, after this incident, uh, he wrote a letter where he talked to his dad about his experience with Francis the polar bear. And then we'll see what happens after that. Oh my God! So this man went uh, went to uh, 
he was i like that he was i feel bad because he was co-officer in charge of a newspaper like he didn't even get to be the officer in charge no, of no, the newspaper no, 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 no. <laughs> um but he saw a polar bear and just like in the coke commercials he sat down next to him all that would have been made it better is if you just handed him a little bottle of coke and it would have been perfect exactly like they say alan you're making a face what do you think <laughs> i'm thinking the same thing it's a coca-cola commercial charlie was just like oh, i'm gonna what do i think about the holidays i know there's always that polar bear coca-cola commercial uh stearns back in 1943 well he's not going to be in the army he's got to be in the navy so how else is he going to get to the arctic so yeah it's a it's a good story so far oh so far we're liking it no holes that's amazing well it's made up because it's based on the commercial (laughs) (laughs) oh so sort of a hole all right that's a pretty big one to get over chris what do you think well, I'm going to give a little more uh, fuel to the fire that Alan has lit on Charlie's story here because uh, David, he's, he called this guy David Stern III, and uh, many people know David Stern is the former NBA commissioner, who, and he just happened to be in the Navy, uh, you know, and David Robinson, a U.S. Naval Academy graduate, is an NBA Hall of Famer. So I think Charlie took David Stern, David Robinson, put them together, and then the, the, the coup de grace for me was the polar bear sat down next to him. Polar bear would have mauled this guy. Polar bears <laughs> are, they are carnivores. They are not talk, they're not conversationalists. They're carnivore, carnivores. Carnivationists? They're not conversationalists. I just, I just like that Chris really thinks I'm into the hoops. I know, because when I think of Charlie, I think of athleticism and, and all He's that. He's got the internet. He, we all have the internet. Fantastic. And actually, even now, with this hat on, if I lean back too far, I kind of look like George Washington. Um, <laughs> four score and seven years ago. Wrong I'm guy, crazy. but good try. Oh. Um, so, <laughs> so I would just say that that is uh, so, Alan, did you you already talked about Chris's story because you, you said there weren't that many holes except that. I mean, Charlie's story, except that it was made up. Chris talked about it. So now that leaves us the last and only thing to do during this round. And that's for Alan to tell his story. And you that's can start right. as soon as you see the clock and hear the boom. OK, um, well, it's all about Rudolph is my story. Yes. So, um, yeah, you probably know, oh, you, you know the Rankin and Bass. There's the Rankin and Bass show. There's the song. <laughs> well, there's also a book that predates all of them. And, yeah, Fru- Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer was a fictional reindeer. Sorry, he's fiction. Uh, but he was created by Robert L. May, and uh, he's typically dis- depicted as the ninth and youngest of Santa Claus's reindeer. Uh, but... Um, yeah, you know all about the the, the, the red nose and and, uh, and all that stuff. Well, actually, he first appeared in a 1939 booklet written by May, and it was published by Montgomery Ward, the department store. And the story is owned by the Rudolph Company, and it has been adapted n- numerous times. Uh, but uh, in actuality, it was written for the sake of... Um, uh, the Montgomery Ward needed a needed a, an original character to sell coloring books, and um, yeah, they 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 sell they sold the, the he he wrote the story to to give a backstory for the character, and they were going to what well, they distributed co- coloring books as well, and uh, they sold pretty well. Oh, I have a question. Yeah. Well, the coloring books was his nose the red thing? Was that the same thing? Like, was that part the same? You had to color it, Gina. It's a coloring oh, so you- book. 
<laughs> oh, so you would pick the color. So you didn't necessarily pick red. I get it. Shut up. Okay. If there were points. <laughs> if you ignored the story, yes, you can color it whatever blue you want. Blue nose. I was just trying to trick you, Alan. To okay. Trick you up on your story. Uh-huh. Uh, Chris, what do you think about that? Well, I, I think uh, as Alan frequently does, uh, he has a um, a great mixture of unbelievably detailed, specific details, um, and then just like some very generic phrases, you know, um, like Rankin and Bass, and then Robert May, the ninth and youngest reindeer. But then he says, and you know about the red nose and all that stuff, and he just kind of throws in this huge <laughs> bucket of other stuff, you know. And then he, then he gives us a specific, a specific year. He mentions Montgomery Ward. Um, uh, and he throws in at the end the coloring books, but color me skeptical. Oh, oh. color me skeptical when I asked what color the nose was. Jeez, I think I committed a crime or something. Charlie, wow. what do you think? <laughs> I think that once again, Alan is trying to take a big swing at me because he knows nobody wants a Charlie in the box. <laughs> That's funny, Charlie. You get the point that I took away from Alan. I love it. All right. Awesome. Yeah, point, I'm sorry. What's that, uh, uh, Charlie? What do points come for then? Points. We'll, we'll get to it later. Or you don't want points, points, Charlie. Charlie, you can redeem our points at Starbucks. Oh, okay. okay yes. Just stops. give them the amber, I guess. I mean, uh... I know, points count as much in this game as Christmas does for people who are not Christian. So um, here we go. We're going to now move into the next. Round of our show. Adam, what is that? That's round number two. Yes, this is the part of the game where the points still don't matter, but the rounds get shorter. So I'm going to swing it on over. Actually, Charlie, I would love for you to go first in this part if you don't mind. And please regale us of your story about the polar bear that Mr. S uh, that, that that guy saw when he sat down on it to look at the stars. It was beautiful. Last week, well, I mean, you guys have kind of ruined my story because you kind of jumped to the end already. Um, we did. His dad was working uh, as as because he was a newspaper advertiser, and so he took the story of a polar bear and his navy son uh, to uh, Coca Cola, who he was working with at the time. Now, this is like forty years before they worked with a refrigerator. Remember. Uh, and so he uh, wanted to, he pitched them this idea for a newspaper ad with this polar bear sitting next to uh, on his Navy son. And uh, in between them is a nice cold bucket of uh, Coca-Cola. And uh, they loved the idea. Um, they were really interested because at the time Coca-Cola was really involved with with the war effort, they had donated millions of bottles of Coca-Cola to all the, the soldiers out there. And so they thought it was a really good idea. But by the time they got around to like finalizing all the project, the war was over, so they made some changes. Oh, so they made the changes, but you know what part they kept? They kept the little part where it crawled up onto the little iceberg. I know they yep, did. Yep, yep. Uh, Alan, um, you're taking some notes. Chris, you're looking up at the camera. What do you think about Charlie's story? Hmm. You're asking me? Well, no, I'm I sorry. I'm asking you, Chris, but I'll come to you in just a moment. <laughs> Alan, can't wait to poke holes in my story. Yeah, I'm ready. You okay, look super enthralled, so I didn't want to disturb you, so I went to Chris instead. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I'm just, wow. Just wow. Um, Charlie's got this very viable, possible story. Um, and uh, But then he throws in the fact that uh, this, this, 
that they were using, that they created millions or used, give away millions of bottles of Coke during the war to soldiers. Um, seems like an awful high number back in the 40s. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's very plausible at this point. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm holding my judgment for future rounds. Wow. So, Charlie, if you are bluffing, the rule, the thing that we've just learned from this round is don't use millions when you're talking about the, you know, like, who knows, though? We don't know whose story is the bluff. In fact, I I don't know at all. The only person who knows is Adam Martek. Uh, Alan, right. what do you think about Chris's story? I, okay. So, yeah, here's what about the thing. Charlie's 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 Charlie, I want to tell you about Charlie's story, my opinion, <laughs> right now. Like I don't think Coca Cola had a polar bear campaign until that CGI commercial from 20 something years ago. Um, so, yeah, this is, uh, the, he's, he's talking about this dude that was there during the World War, or the Second World War. And uh, I don't know, no, that no, doesn't add up to me. I specifically said at the end of my statement, it didn't get out till after the end of the war. Oh, that's the way after the I end said. of the war. <laughs> Technically correct. That's decades, many, that's half a century after the end of the war. Okay. The rest of my story. All right. Yeah. All right. Go on. Wow. I'm so excited. I want them to get in a fight. Then it really would be just like Christmas at my house. <laughs> uh, so that really is a good place to leave off, Charlie. Thank you so much. Now I'm going to go to Alan because I want to learn more about Rudolph before we get into the other story, which seems sad. Okay. Well, um, now get this. Uh, he decided that <laughs> May, the, the, the writer, Robert May, he considered naming the reindeer Rollo or Reginald before he finally decided on the name Rudolph. And he also said that his daughter really liked reindeer and that he himself, the, the writer, who was actually treated like Rudolph when he was a child. But I think a lot of us can relate to not being able to play in reindeer games growing up. But uh, that, that's that's coming from him. Anyway, they distributed 2.4 million copies of the story of Rudolph, and it was written as a poem in an epistic tetrameter, uh, the same meter that was used in A Visit from St. Nicholas, which is also known as Twas the Night Before Christmas. And the uh, the publication gives rights to uh, their company. But uh, while he was pondering how best to craft a Christmas story about a reindeer, I'll tell you later. No! <laughs> <laughs> I don't like that ending right there. Oh. <laughs> That's why we time these rounds. For oh, mm, that makes me feel bad. Okay, so <laughs> uh, so I have a question, Alan, 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 mm. Alan. So, yeah, yeah. So um, Robert L. May named it, was going to name it Rollo or Reginald. What was it named in the original book? What was the, the It was the Rudolph. He settled oh, on Rudolph and published it with Rudolph, yeah. Oh, so he was going to change it, though, to just because? or he was No, no, no. He, he was thinking of names before he wrote the story. So those oh. were the working names before he actually finally published. He settled okay. on Rudolph. I'm just trying to think how that Rolo, went. Rolo, Reginald oh, were, were a couple of okay. potential names before he settled on Rudolph. They all go except Reginald. Reginald doesn't scan for the song, I don't think, as well. That might have hurt his poetic tetrameter is what he settled on. Tetrameter, I love that. Because he didn't write a song. The song came later. He didn't write the song? 
All right. No, he the song is based on his book. I'll tell Chris you. Chris has to go. Chris has some thoughts. I, 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 I can't hold this in anymore. Um right. it, it, <laughs> he, first of all, he started his round with now get this. Uh, which is a, a classic history bluff technique of saying, you know, like, well, imagine this is unbelievable, and then tell us something that is not believable. Um, as covering up his bluff, but but then and Alan, you know, and and Alan's a very sweet uh, man. I've known Alan a long time. He's a very sweet man. You. But he's trying to sell us sweets. He's trying to sell us candy. Rolo and Reggie are three candy bars. Reggie bar and Rolos. Did this Reggie guy bar. then when he got after he published the story? Did he go work for Mars M and M to start naming candies? Fair. Hey, that's a very good point, Chris. Sorry, Alan. Did you have a rebuttal? No, I think if I were if I were judging my story, I'd say the exact same thing. That's a great <laughs> point. Well, first. and I think I think Alan, you know that because when you said the phrase "now get this," for those of you just listening on a podcast, um, Alan's face was like, "Oh shit, I stepped in it. I know I did." <laughs> he literally viscerally paused and then continued yes, his story, I lost and my all place. of our faces just turned and looked at his square. I like, lost my place. <laughs> I laughed Charlie, out loud. your thoughts, please. <laughs> well, no, I have very similar thoughts. Two things. One is, yeah, the get this thing very much felt like something out of uh, Bioshock, where you find out the bad guy the entire time has been saying this phrase to like to like mind meld you, trick you into thinking that they're right. Um, so Alan is very clearly doing that. And then the second thing is, was it Alan who was like, oh, when you mentioned a million. Or was that Chris? I don't remember anymore. Oh, that was yeah. Alan talking about million, Chris's Yeah, suddenly they said 2.4 million copies. It's, it's not even yeah. It's not even World War II. He said it was like 1942 or something. So how could he sell a millions of copies? Oh, snap. That was a good sick burn. 1939. Yeah, right. So, so. It was before the U.S. involvement, but the World War II was going on. It was happening. Yeah, yeah, but, it is true, but still, millions of people, hmm. that is your argument to be used against yourself that was a good strategy mm -hmm. charlie mm -hmm. i like that um okay so what this means is that we still have one more person to go and that's going to be chris chris please regale us with the rest of the story about silent night for this round and then there will be one more part you got it okay okay coming up coming up with a hit boom nice now get this so it is now <laughs> <laughs> It is now the Fuck late you. afternoon of Christmas Eve in 1818. And um, uh, Father Moore had uh, called his buddy Franz Gruber to come join him, uh, who is, you know, as we know, the amateur composer. And he and, and Father Moore pulled out this oh. poem. He, why is Charlie laughing? That he had written two years earlier. Um, and he explained that the mice had eaten through the parts of St. Nicholas's organ and rendered it useless <laughs> for that night's service. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Together, uh, they began um, fitting the poem to music, um, but using only guitar and their voices because obviously the the um, uh, organ was out, um, and they were frustrated because all church music in that era had booming organs as accompaniment. But um, they they did it. It became um, you know they they kind of felt so that they had something that really worked, and it ends up that it was Silent Night. Was what mm. they wrote. Whoa. Or to come so, on that round three. Well, so originally they played it on a guitar and they did, it was, it took that man two years to write Silent Night, Holy nope, Night. Nope, he, nope, he <laughs> oh, okay. Two years earlier. 
Oh, he had written it two years earlier. It's not like it took him two years. Because that's not right. some deep writing. I mean, it's beautiful, but not very deep. Okay. Uh, so, Alan, what do you think about that, please? I'm picturing Joe Moore and Franz Gruber crawling through the air ducts of the pipe organ to, to find where there was an opening that led to it not being able to be played on that very Christmas day. Uh, Charlie was miming it with a, a flashlight. I think it would have been a torch, but close. No, no, no. It was, it was yeah, okay. The, the yeah, movie yeah. has a, has a, um, a lighter. Lighter, a yeah. No, no, it was 1818, I think. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, that's true. So, Alan, so your argument is that, is, is that no? <laughs> Just No. Yeah, that this is clearly the the plot of Die Hard, but it's in a church and it's about <laughs> writing music. So which came first, Die Hard or the Egg? I don't know. Well, clearly this came first, but then again, if it's made up, the Die Hard came first because it's based <laughs> on Die Hard. <laughs> you get me, Alan. That's what I love about you. You get me, uh, Charlie. Your thoughts on Chris's story? Next thing you know, he's going to push Joe Moore out the door, and on his chest is going to be written, "Ho ho ho!" Now I have a Christmas Carol. Um, yeah yeah like like also yes. not to mention not to mention i'm really concerned about the story about some guy's organ not working at nighttime um, <laughs> it really is a weird story you present when he finally story. gets it to work does he say yippee ki mother <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that noise for a flaccid penis <laughs> no no i don't have <laughs> The holidays, Gina. Yeah, There's clearly. Children. Make the penis noise. Make the penis noise. <laughs> Put the bluff that part out. Buzz that part out. Whatever you do. All right. So what that means is we have now come to the end of round two. And that leads us into the third and final round of the show. Round three. That is what I was saying, Adam. Thank you so much. Um, now we're going to do, we're going to shorten the rounds ever so slightly. And right now we're going to actually start with Alan to finish off his story about Rudolph. And let's see if he's bluffing or not. May was staring out the window of his office uh, into downtown Chicago when there was a thick fog from Lake Michigan that was blocking his view, giving him a flash of inspiration. Suddenly I had it, he recalled. A nose, a bright red nose that would shine through the fog like a spotlight. And that was the crux of the conflict in his story about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I'm not going to bore you with the details. You all know the most famous reindeer of all. But I will say this, that the song that we all know of, with Rudolph, that came out in 1949. It was written by May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, and it, was a, and it was adapted by the story that he had written. Gene Autry's version hit number one on the Billboard Pop Singles on the week of Christmas in Well, don't know that Johnny is just Richard Marx's younger brother, so I think that's <laughs> too. It all kind of stays in the family. Is it really? I don't know how younger he could be. This is 1949. Oh, great grandson. I don't know, but <laughs> I'm trying to help your story. Okay, out. okay, fair <laughs> enough. Go on, uh, Chris. What do you think about his story there? I, I think uh, Alan is mixing up his geography. Chicago is the windy city. London is the fog city. Um, and and again. He, he, he dropped another one of those big clues. I'm not going to bore you with the details. So meaning that I didn't have time before the show to make up the details of this part of the story. So I'm going to jump ahead to the end. The story of Rudolph. 
You know the details of the story of Rudolph. Uh, okay. He has been very often. Alan will, um, his uh, sick burns to try to get the rest of you is to say that you all have too many details. So perhaps mm. you should have taken, if this story is not true, because I don't know the origins of Rudolph or Silent Night, but these are fascinating. Charlie, your thoughts, please. Well, I, I like the, the idea that he sat there and saw uh, the, the nose and he's like, it's right here waiting for you. Um, which is Richard uh, Smart. Charlie, you get a point. Yes, another point. <laughs> it's worthless. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, like uh, he. I see now. Now I'm feeling like he's pretending too hard to be the bluffer because for some reason he gets some kind of weird sadistic joy out of being accused of bluffing. Um, but I don't know. It's a. Yeah, mm, I don't know. Is uh, Chicago is that a isn't that like a Macy? Macy's New York too. Like Montgomery Ward. Where was Montgomery Ward? I want to know that. Mm, I'd have to look that up. I didn't look that up. But it could. Well, maybe you showed up when you were making it up. Made a story. sense if it's Chicago since he was hired by Montgomery Ward. So it could be. Oh, could have been a Bradley's. The story that's accurate. Nobody else knows what a Bradley's is, Adam. <laughs> That's true. That's a New England department store. That's What's a Bradley's, house. Adam? It's like a Zares. <laughs> oh, I remember Zares. <laughs> Zares, I remember. Bradley's a tank. Yeah. There we go. Oh, well, that cleared it right up for me. Thank you, Adam. It's like a piggly wiggly without the food. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, so I think what happens now is we need to finish up this round. And so we have two more people who need to go. So we have heard from Alan. Um, now, I would like to hear the last part of Chris's story, if you don't mind. And so we shall start whenever the boom happens. All right. So uh, the next year, they performed it again because it was such a huge hit the year before. They performed it again at their church. Um, and even though the organ had been fixed by now, they did it uh, with just a guitar as they had the year before. And attending that night in, in 1819 was Franz I of Austria. And he absolutely loved it. Um, it, it spread, word spread, it got translated into English and many other languages, it spread across the globe. By 1914, it was sung in the trenches of World War I by English and German soldiers together on Christmas Eve during a truce because it was the only song that both sides knew. Over time, the original manuscript was lost. Moore's name was forgotten. Gruber was still credited as the composer. But in 1955, a manuscript was discovered. Moore's handwriting was confirmed. It was restored. He was restored as named lyricist. And today it's in more than 300 languages and dialects and becomes the most popular Christmas carol in the world. Aww. Wait, when they sang together in the trenches, I hope they did the thing where one part starts and the round comes in, you know? I love that when they do that with yeah, Silent Night. Like, row, row, row your boat. <laughs> yeah, like row, row, row your boat. It's so pretty with Silent Night. Like, and we could do it right now, Silent no, we're just kidding. Okay. So, Alan, what do you think about the other song that may or may not be a bluff tonight? We all know that when Chris is bluffing, he loves to reference Germany, and this has German all over it. Once again, <laughs> he knew he would get a laugh with a reference to the advisor to the Kaiser. And here we go again. Hey, uh, Charlie, I think we'll, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that because you're sitting in judgment. I can We see it. all know when Chris is bluffing, he references soccer. And one of the famous <laughs> soccer moments in the world is the time that England and Germany 
played soccer on the field on Christmas Day. So, yeah, I mean, uh, also, like, if he's telling this story, he doesn't even tell us the name of the song in its original German or Austrian. Uh, he just doesn't. I have that because I ran out of time in the last round. He doesn't even do the research to come up with that. It's still not Helig Nacht. One more time. Still not Helig Nacht. Still not Heel Nacht. Helig Nacht. It's the opposite of the Hippocratic Oath. It's your speakers aren't working. Heel Nacht. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. Your speakers are working 100%. It just sounds. No, yours are not working. Charlie, Charlie has a good point there. I don't know. These are very good rounds, and I want them all to be true. Um, Charlie, yours is the last one. We haven't heard the rest of your story about the Coca-Cola polar bear, if that's if that's true or not. But we would love to hear what how this all wraps up now. And I said wrap on purpose. Yeah. Yes. No. Uh, the um the so the Coca-Cola company was like they bought the ad, but they were like, hey, it's the end of the war. Everybody's trying to heal, and since everybody knows what Coca-Cola is, kind of because our bottles have gone with soldiers all over the all over the world, we're kind of like trying to step back from like military looks. And so they published the ad that uh, David's dad did, but they didn't publish the soldier. It was just the polar bear and uh, the the bucket of. Uh, uh, Coca-Cola. The next year they pub- published an ad that was the polar bear and it was uh, it, it was holding a Coca-Cola. And then when the 60s came around and they introduced the cans, uh, it wasn't too long before the polar bear got adapted to the design on the can. Oh, that's very cute. And they used to have a polar bear commercial with a little kid and um, our parents even though we live nowhere near polar bears, they use that as a lesson to tell us not to do that with a polar bear, which made me laugh. <laughs> as a child. I thought that was very funny. I like that was fascinating. Um, Alan, your thoughts there because your arm, your your fist is over your mouth, and that means wow. you're either laughing or you have judgment. What is your? I'm thought? I'm, your... I'm questioning Gina's story now. This is how you <laughs> polar bear safety is uh, about the Coca Cola. weird. We're weird. That's <laughs> funny. All right, kids. This is what you should never do with a polar bear drinking yeah, the Coca-Cola. all the polar bears they come into new york city new york yeah, yeah. that's my point that's why it was funny don't do coke um, with a bear so uh, i found this all very interesting my story takes place around or uh, during world war ii the polar bear uh guy was a naval guy around world war ii and um uh, you know germany so germany we always associate with world war ii that's that was chris <laughs> Chris's story. So anyway, the the polar bear thing, um, I'm I'm you know, here's I'm gonna I'm gonna already jump ahead to who who I think might be bluffing. Ooh. I think there could be I think there could be some truth to uh, Charlie's story. That's that's my take. Okay, well, so I think. Just, well, go ahead, keep going. That's that's my two cents. I think Franz Gruber. Franz Gruber. Did you even try to bluff us, Chris? <laughs> Well, that makes it very interesting because I Mm -hmm. think we have one vote for Chris already as a bluff. Unless, unless, Alan, does that mean you don't think it's Charlie? But you oh, think it's Chris. You, I'm calling Chris the bluff. You're calling already. Chris, not calling yourself. I just wanted to make sure. Okay, but we still have one more story, or is that? Oh, we do. 
That's it. That's all of us. No, that's everybody's no, gone. Okay, sure, but we have to have comments. We have to comment. Let's do yes. it. Let's do it. Chris, yeah. I'd love to Charlie. hear. Um, so we, we know that Alan has now, we know that Charlie yeah. is winning them points. Alan has voted for you. Uh, as, I know. Okay. As bluff. Chris, what do you, who do you think is bluffing and or defend your story? Whatever you well, like. Well, it's first, before, I, before I defend my own story, I'm going to talk about, because I get a chance to comment on Charlie's story. I, I like, I, I, I give Charlie uh, props for leaning back into the bottles, even though both Alan and I had called him out on saying millions of bottles in World War II. Um, and then um, I just liked that he, he leaned further into alliteration. David's dad did. Um, and uh, if you take that and had his guy say it in uh, Alan's made-up story in Chicago, it would have been add, add that David's dad did. Um, so uh, I... Uh, uh, so my, my comments on my comments on Charlie's story and and you know so in the entirety of the whole thing here since we're combining all this right now um, I, I uh, oh man I I think there's some truthiness to Charlie's story I'm gonna say I believe Alan is bluffing with the candy bars uh, the candy bar names and and um, I'm not he, I'm not gonna bore you with details on why I think so. But Alan's not going to work. Whoa! Okay, so that's one vote for Alan, one vote for Chris. Charlie's still winning with points. Charlie, what do you think? I think Gina's. No, I. I, I it's really <laughs> tough. It's really tough. The, 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 the Franz Gruber or whatever is just the the most, and that and that it's the most ridiculous name. But then he pairs it with Joe Moore, which is just <laughs> Joseph. Like the most Joseph. Unremarkable name in the world. And I, they were in uh, Austria speaking German. They were in Austria. They were Austrian, but they weren't speaking Austrian. They were speaking German. Which is actually speak German in Austria. Which, there is which no Austrian language in German. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. It's so complicated. Um, uh, I, I'm going to go with Chris. I'm gonna okay. go with Chris. Oh, that's Chris two votes for Chris. Whether or not Silent Night actually was musical that night, or whether the polar bear is related to the real polar bear or cocaine grizzly bear, which is a <laughs> I can't wait for that. I, film. I also want to say that anybody who eats that much uh, bratwurst would not have a silent night. Oh. <laughs> no, but maybe the guitar music would cover it up. <laughs> and, uh, and unless we just need to know, it's we're gonna find out whether or not Montgomery Ward Um, so let us let us turn it over to the only person in the whole wide world right now who knows, and that is Adam the Tech. Um, and so I'm gonna pull myself out of the stream. Great show, everybody. I'm curious to know. Um, Adam, the show is yours now. Take care, everybody. All right, very good. Well, you waited this long. And there's only one thing to do now. I and I alone know who the bluff was. So, was your holiday bluff? Was it Chris? Was the bluff Charlie? Or was the bluff Alan? Get ready to find out. Ladies and gentlemen, your bluff for this evening has been Charlie. Whoa, yes! Well done, Charlie. I think you got away clean with that. Am I right? You did. Yeah, Nicely did. done. Nicely you did get away with clean, Adam. I, the only person who voted for him was nobody. And he got all the points. So, I, mean, <laughs> I got all the points. The points are the important points. part. Man. Oh. Man, Charlie just, he swept house. That is that is fascinating. Well um, thank you, Adam the Tech, for doing all of the sound effects and making us look good and also keeping the secret of who the bluffer was. Um, and thank you to Chris and Charlie and Alan. Um, this is another episode of History Bluffs. I'll turn it back over to Adam. But you can it was really a Franz Gruber. That's what was I learned today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that? True. There was really That's a Franz Gruber, and he was about to 
That's true. I, I, I also like the fact that Adam's liver grew three sizes tonight. Uh, <laughs> and so he no longer, uh, yeah. Oh. It's just one of his organs. Watch out for getting eaten That's by right. mice. Thank you. Thank you, Costco eggnog. Thank you so much for the Christmas spirit and the magic. Uh, Gina, thank you so much for hosting. And our, our historians are fantastic. Indeed. Have a happy holiday, however you celebrate it, because we here at History Bluffs will be back next week with some more history you can learn about Hans Gruber's and more on History Bluffs. See you then.